You're listening to Not The Wifey Type, the podcast, a cape-free zone where we share stories and break down strength and struggle narratives to reimagine lives with us at the center. I'm your host, Kayla Charleston. Now let's get into it. Welcome back. It is the last episode of the season. I know I've been inconsistent for the past few weeks. That just means that this break is needed so I can come back refreshed and ready to show up in the way that I would like to show up for you all. So I did upload two episodes on the same day, this one and episode nine, since I missed a week. Season three will be back toward the end of May. So this is the last episode for about six or seven weeks. On this episode, I'm discussing with my guest one of my favorite topics that we haven't yet discussed this season, at least, which is drum roll, please. Well, actually, if you've read the title, then you already know. <laughs> you already know this is about living abroad. So I'm talking to my guest about being an expat and a black woman in Paris. Paris is one of my favorite cities and it didn't start out that way. When I first went to Paris, I did not like it. I thought that it was overrated. First of all, I went in October, so it was cold. Um, I thought it was overrated. I didn't understand how it was this romantic city. I didn't see the, the big deal. I didn't think it was romantic. I thought it was dark and gloomy and cold. There were white people everywhere and I know it's France, but still like there were white people everywhere. It just, everything I felt like was overrated except for the food. The food was exceptional, but everything else, take it or leave it. So I actually posted about this on my Facebook. I think I made a post saying that, you know, France is really overrated and something really like magical happened. So I had a, I had someone on my friends list who was actually Parisian and I had no idea that she was from Paris and lived in Paris. So, okay. The story of how she became my friend on Facebook is kind of embarrassing, but I was really young. I was like 22 when this happened and I'm going to tell y'all and I'm going to need y'all not to judge me when I tell you. So how we became friends on Facebook is there was some guy I knew who mentioned a girl he met and he made her sound great. And I wanted to be nosy and see what was so great about her. So I found her. She had a unique name and I found her on Facebook after he mentioned her. I think maybe they had they were friends on Facebook, too. So I'd like God, this is embarrassing. I snooped on his friends list and found her because she had a unique name and I added her as well. So that's how we became friends on Facebook. And we never actually I don't think we ever actually spoke on Facebook or like introduced ourselves or anything. So we we literally just sat on each other's friends list for years. And then I made this post when I went to Paris years later, I made this post about how France or Paris is overrated. And she saw it and she commented, Hey, you know, I, you know, wish I had known that you were in Paris sooner. I would have like prepared something or put something, put some plans or made some plans. Excuse me. I would have made some plans to kind of like show you around, but if you're up for it, I can give you like a quick tour, you know, while you're still here. So she actually, (laughs) we were actually complete strangers aside from being friends on Facebook who have never spoke. So she actually volunteered to meet up with me and show me around. And so she did one afternoon after work, I met up with her 
And she was gracious enough to show, give me like a tour of the city, like a walking tour of the city. And we got on the train. I think we got on the train, maybe. I don't remember. Um, but it was so sweet of her to do that. And <laughs> from not really knowing me and from something that started out as me being nosy and a little petty. So since I didn't have much time left in Paris for her to, to like really take me places, I decided I was going to come back. So I came back in July of the next year. And I, that's when I really fell in love with Paris because, um, she had more time to show me more things. And when I came back in July, there were, okay, the black people were out. When I went in October, it was cold and the black people were inside the house. When I went back in July, they was out. Okay. So there were black people everywhere. Um, she took me to clubs, you know, she took me dancing. She took me to restaurants. She, she showed me even more of Paris and we also went to an African food festival and it was amazing because these were professional chefs who were cooking traditionally African dishes. And, you know, when you think of professional chefs, usually what comes to mind or, or what mainstream would have you picture a chef, a professional chef as is like a white man, but these were African chefs who were cooking African dishes and it was amazing. And, um, my, after that experience, in Paris, I was a little conflicted. Like I had some emotions that it got stirred up that made me feel a little comfortable, uncomfortable. And I had to like process them, what I was feeling. So for me, it was seeing the Caribbean French people and the African French people have such strong cultural ties back to another place outside of France. Like, yeah, they were Parisian, they were French, but they were also very much so, you know, their Caribbean or African selves, or they had those roots in those places as well. And I think seeing that made me mad at white people. <laughs> it made me mad at white people for basically stealing my ancestors and uprooting them and taking them somewhere else. So I, I did feel a sense of loss, but then I also had to shake it off. I don't like, I do not like the lost or displaced African narrative that kind of suggests that African-American people or, or black people in America, in the U.S. that are descendants of American chattel slavery are you know, lost and have no home and have no culture of their own because, you know, they they don't have ties to the place where their ancestors came from. I don't really like that narrative because it's not true. We do have a culture, we do have a home, and our culture is highly influential. So anyway, because of my Parisian friend who I hope never listens to this because I do not want her to know how we became Facebook friends in the first place. Because of her, I have a special place in my heart for Paris. And this interview is important and interviews like it because I want to do more interviews of black women who live in other places in the world so that we can see, you know, what it's like for us in, in other places. So we will talk about in this interview, what it's like for her to be a black woman in Paris, but also 
how France dealt has been dealing with the pandemic so that you can actually see other possibilities for yourself and for your life. So for today's guest, we have with us Tiffany Davis, who is a YouTuber and the founder of Tiffany Davis LLC, which is a brand that helps people make their living abroad dream a reality. How are you, Tiffany? I'm doing well. How are you? Good, good. I'm so excited. I was telling you before we started this, I'm, I'm excited about this interview because I love Paris and I love talking about living abroad. So I'm really happy that you decided to be a guest on the show. And I always start out asking guests about um, their background. So can you tell us a little bit about um, how living abroad came together for you? Um, and sure. is that something that you've always wanted to do? Sure. So um, it's funny, when I was 16 years old, I was playing the violin in my high school orchestra. And um, our junior year, they let us go to Italy to perform, which was really cool. It was my very first time out of the country. It was my very first time in Europe. And I fell in love to the point where when I came back home, I told my parents, like, I want to move to Europe. And they're just like, tip, like you're 16, like sit your behind down, like, let's get you through college. You know what I mean? And um, honestly, that idea kind of left me. I like had that idea when I was 16. And after that, I just went through high school, went through college, wasn't really thinking about it until um, my senior year at Howard. So actually, right after I graduated from Howard, I was talking to my mentor. And um, she told me, you know, tip, if you really want to make it in the fashion world or in the beauty world, you have to do this MBA program in France. And at the time, I was like, who's trying to get their MBA? Like, who's moving to France? Like, not for me. I had just gotten a really cool job in San Francisco. So I just wasn't checking for it. But it was kind of still in the back of my mind. Um, and then after San Francisco, I moved to New York City. And I was there for about two years. And just felt like I wasn't super excited about my career. I was feeling super stuck in my comfort zone. You know, every day kind of felt the same. I was craving an international experience. A friend of mine had just moved to Spain um, for a teaching program. And I was like, oh my gosh, Tip, like, why don't you think about that program? And I was actually at my sister's um, dinner for, she, so she was graduating um, with her master's. And a family friend had said, like, Tip, would you ever consider going back to school? And I had just said, you know, if I did, it wouldn't be in the United States. And I was like, like, where did this come from? Like, this is crazy. So after that, I started looking into this MBA program and the ball just started rolling. Um, I did a Euro trip with two of my friends and I went to see the school and literally everything just started lining up. And that's really what brought me um, here to France. So, you know, it's funny, like, uh, I think that there are a lot of people out there that have this big dream of moving to Paris, which is amazing and, you know, stick with that dream. But for me, it's not like I had this huge dream to move to Paris that I was following all along. It's just kind of something that I fell into almost, I guess you could say. Like I was just, I found myself in a place in my career where I was like, there has to be more to life. Um, my mentor had brought up this program and that's really what led me here. Mm-hmm. I think, I feel like that's one of the best feelings is when something just kind of falls into place, right? So it feels mm-hmm. like it's the right thing to do. And I also think it's really cool that you have lived in several different big cities. So you said San Francisco and New York. So you've lived from coast to coast yep. in the in the U.S. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So can you tell me a little bit about, well, first of all, how good was your French uh, when you moved there? And how, how long have you been there? And how good is your French now? <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> So um, when I had moved here, I had taken French in high school and in college as well. But, 
you know, in the United States, they don't really teach you to become fluent in a language. It's like, I mean, I remember French class being like, everyone bring croissants and, you know, I mean, like, yes, you are still learning the language, but it's kind of like a fun class. Um, so, I, but, but with that said, I did have a base of the language. So when I came, it's like, I knew some things, but like when I got here, I was like, okay, the French they're speaking is not the French that I learned in school. You know, it was just totally different. So, um, so then when I came, you know, I've, I've lived here for now three and a half years. And I have to say, I'm still not completely fluent. So my very first year here, I was getting my MBA. So 12 month intensive, literally had zero time. Um, then the year after that, I was working in corporate, which you would think I would have some time to learn, but like super demanding job in luxury beauty. I mean, my boss would be texting me at like midnight, just insane. So zero time to learn. And now like with the pandemic and everything like that, I've really kind of fallen back into taking lessons and improving and things like that. And actually every Saturday, me and my really good French friend here have French conversations. And it's funny because it's like people who hear me speak say I speak pretty well, but for me, I'm kind of like, I don't know. Like, I don't think so. And I don't know if it's just kind of a, I'm not super confident in the language thing type of thing. But it's like, when I talk to my friend, they're like, Tiff, you can speak French. And I'm like, okay, but like, to me, I feel like I'm a hot mess. You know what I mean? (laughs) So I don't know if it's just like a hump that I need to get over, but I, I personally still feel like there's a lot of room for improvement. Yeah. And French is a hard language coming from, I feel like like American people have very lazy tongues compared to like other languages. And so French has all these different sounds that we're not used to making. It's hard. It's hard. So I also had that same experience. Um, I, majored in actually majored in Spanish in undergrad and I studied abroad in Costa Rica and still was like uh <laughs> this is not the same kind of Spanish so it is different yeah. like yeah so yeah um so how has it been for you like finding an expat community or expat communities or have you found that you lean more into expat communities or that you are getting more integrated into like French culture which which has been more mm-hmm important for you? I would say it's more so expat communities, but only because like my MBA was an international program. So there are people from everywhere. Like I now have a best friend that lives in India and like another one that's in Israel. So it's like, I feel like because of that program, a lot of us were expats. And that was kind of like my first base of like my first community that I was involved with here in Paris. And then after that, actually, a lot of people moved back to their home country. And I was like, Oh, my God, now I have to make friends all over again. Um, And actually have the kind of um, black girls in in Paris crew for a little bit, um, as someone that I met through a friend, actually. So it was an American crew, American expats who were living in Paris. And now all of them are gone. One's in um, the Netherlands, one's in Senegal, one's in the United States. I'm like, Oh, my God, but I do feel like Paris is a city similar to New York where people are kind of passing through, if that makes sense. And I feel like now my friend circle now, um, most of them I met through work and I was working for an international company. So they're from everywhere, a friend from China, a friend from India, a friend from Ireland, you know, they're from everywhere. And then I do have a really, really good, a few French friends, one that I met at work, one that I met very randomly, like in the city, like literally I was on the subway platform and she was like, I like your hair, like talking to me in French. This was like, I think my first year here. And I was like, girl, I don't know what you're saying. And she was like, oh, you speak English? And I'm like, yeah. So she was like, I was saying, I really like your hair. How do you do it? We ended up like walking to the Black Beauty Supply store and now we're like the best of friends. So I also have stories like that. So I feel like my crew is pretty mixed, but um, I would say the majority of my friends here are, are more international. 
Gotcha. Gotcha. So one thing I did want to talk about is what it's like being a black woman uh, living abroad. So first I want to ask, has your understanding of your blackness changed as a result of living in Paris? And then if so, how? Sure. I wouldn't say it's changed um, because although like in a social setting, I feel like we do feel a lot more accepted here. Um, there is still this stigma, like for example, in the workplace, I was the only black girl on the team. I was also the only American on the team. And I was actually really surprised about that just because when you come to France, it's like, you do see that there's a huge African population here. Um, and working here, I was kind of expecting to see more of us, but I didn't really see that. I was the only one. And, you know, even just talking to other black people on different teams, it's like, yeah, this is kind of how it is, especially in the luxury setting. I was working um, for a luxury beauty company. So for me, that was the same. Um, the same goes for, you know, this thing, this, um, this notion around the diversity hire and sometimes people just wanting to hire you to kind of be the black person or the diverse person on the team that happens a lot in America. It was the same thing here. So I don't really think my perspective on my blackness has changed, but I will say it's made me open my mind to how different we are perceived in different countries um, and what's accepted and what's not accepted. For example, um, when I was in my MBA program, um, we were giving these presentations for corporate sponsors, like a marketing presentation, um, where we had to basically like develop our target market, our target persona and things like that. So this one group came out to pre- came up to present um, and this girl was mixed, half black, half French or half white. And she had presented this persona, a black girl called Nappy Natalie. And I was sitting there like, did she just say nappy Natalie and present this black girl with like natural hair? And after they, after they finished presenting, I came up to her and I was like, I just want to let you know that that was completely offensive and very condescending to black women. Like, I'm shocked that you would say that in your, in a presentation. And she was like, oh my gosh, Tip, I'm so sorry. She was like, actually here in Paris, the nappy movement is a movement that's meant to celebrate black women. And I was like, oh, I didn't know that. So it's also making me understand how Black people and Black women are celebrated here versus in America as well, you know? And I, of course, was like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. But she was also like, but no, it's good to know this because again, we're we're in an international setting. And if that is something that would be offensive to Americans, to Black Americans, and that's something that she would need to know also, you know? And it's yeah, very interesting. And even here, like Black people are called Les Noirs, which means mm-hmm. like the Blacks, basically. Mm-hmm. And I will never forget like working and having to pick out, pick out models. And my boss had said something to me like, we need a Black. And I was like, like a, a Black what? Like, yeah, you know, like it's just very different. Like in America, you would never say that. So no. um, <laughs> yeah, so I, I do think that my Blackness remains the same, but I do think that I've learned a lot about how Black people are perceived and what's accepted and not accepted in different cultures, I guess you could mm-hmm. say. Mm-hmm. So one thing I've noticed from my travels is how I'm treated um, as a Black American versus how maybe mm. local Black people are treated. So have you noticed mm-hmm. a difference between like how you as a Black American are treated versus how like uh, African French people are treated in Paris? Oh, absolutely. Like even when it came to um, getting my job here, like working in the luxury beauty industry, like so many people have said to me, like, it's because you're a black American that they're more accepting to hire you because I really did not see that many black French people working at the company. And it was always, 
And I, and I never really understood that until like starting to talk to French friends about it. You know, mm -hmm. I, I feel like racism is here. I think it's a bit more subtle. So you don't really pick up on it right away. Because I'll tell you, like when I first landed in France and was starting to make friends and interacting in a social setting, I felt so accepted. And mm -hmm. at the time I was like, no wonder Josephine Baker wanted to come here. No wonder why Langston Hughes felt more accepted here. But then as I, you know, as I was here for like years and years, I was like, oh, okay, now I'm starting to understand that there are layers to it. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I just feel like the racism here, it's, it's kind of no different than what happens in the United States. I just think it's a, it's a bit more subtle and you kind of have to watch out for it. It's like, mm -hmm. it's not as, you know, like it's not as, you know, right in your face, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. So um, if you had to say, have you experienced microaggressions? Um, living oh, yes. Paris? <laughs> and yes. How are they different? Would you say they're different than the ones you would experience in the U.S.? And if so, how? Or are they the same or similar? Sure. I mean, I have to say they're pretty much the same. Like I remember someone said to me, oh, yeah, we hired an intern to bring some, a black intern to bring some color to the team, but she's not as dark as you. <laughs> what is that like? <laughs> like, what is that? Like, how am I supposed to respond to that? Right. Yeah, or, I mean, I also remember, you know, just being at a convenience store, picking up a few things, and I had a backpack on and leaving the convenience store, and the guy told me to open my bag. Because I guess he had thought I stole something. Right, right, right. And I mean, I did, and obviously he didn't find anything, but it's like, things like that still happen here. And they happen in the United States as well. So I, I feel like it's pretty much the same. So, okay, that makes me think, um, because I have, in, like, especially in European countries, um, yeah. when people see me and they think I'm, like, African and they'll treat me a certain way, but when I speak and they learn that I'm American, they kind of <laughs> change. So, like, um, oh. I have... I have um, I have gotten asked to see my passport, like in the airport and stuff. Um, and once they see it's an American uh, American passport, they're like, oh, never mind, I don't need to see it. And I think it's because they think I'm like African or something. That is and so, so interesting. Do you, do you find that uh, people think you're African or uh, like an African French person or? Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't, I'm not really sure. I mean, I, I do get people just coming up to me speaking French because they assume that I'm French. But like, I don't, I, I haven't received like, like to me, I haven't received like a difference in treatment, if that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. Like I've, I've never had anyone just assume that I'm African or anything like that. Um, and the other thing is it's not just Africans that are here. There are Caribbean people here. Do you know what I mean? Caribbean black people here. Like my, one of my, my really good French friend here, she's Caribbean. So it's like there are so many different kinds of Black people here as well, similar as in the United States, too. Um, yeah, but no, I don't think I've ever gotten that. What would you say, or is there anything you, you would you prefer or that's like so much better about living in Paris than living in the U.S.? Sure. Um, I mean, number one, I have to say the food because like I'm a foodie. If you watch my YouTube channel, I'm always eating. And um, so, yeah, I think the food here is amazing. And I feel like between last year and this year, I've just been discovering some really cool restaurants. So that's really cool. Um, I also think the way of life is a bit different. And I'm comparing this to New York City because that's where I was living before. But um, although it is still a busy city, I feel like the pace is a lot slower. 
than New York City, for example, to the point where I had been living here for a year and went back for a summer to New York City. And I was like, oh my God, it's so fast here. Like, how did I live here for two years? Like, I was out of my mind. Like, I was like, this is insane. But um, I do think that they, they really just enjoy life. And even you can even see it in little things. Like, for example, my first year working here, I had five weeks of vacation, which is like insane. And my boss was encouraging me to take vacation. In New York, I literally had like 10 days of vacation. It was insane. Um, or even little things like if you have to go to a doctor's appointment or if you have an apartment viewing, they're so easy about like you just doing you and living your life. And if you have to do something, do it as long as you get your work done. I remember working in corporate in the United States and being like, oh my gosh, I'm so sick, but I don't know if I should tell my boss. I don't know if I should just, you know, tough it out because I don't want to seem, it's not like that here. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, if you're sick, you're sick. If you have to see an apartment, you have to see an apartment. Like they let you just take care of your business without you feeling the pressure of, oh my gosh, like, I don't know what they're going to think about me. And that's something that I really do love about um, France for sure. Yeah. I, my, I have a Parisian friend and when she told me she takes off a month every summer and that's not even all her <laughs> time off. I'm like, what? <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So the, uh, the same question, but for the U.S., are, are there things or is there something about the U.S. that you prefer to living in France or Paris? Mm. I mean, I think if anything, I, I think it's more just the proximity to like my close friends and family. I think that when you're living abroad, yes, it's really cool and really fun, but like you also kind of miss out on a lot of things in the United States. You know, like there have been weddings that I wasn't able to attend or baby showers and things like that, which suck, you know, it's like, you never want to miss a big event of like close people in your life. But sometimes when you're living abroad and working and it's, it's really hard, it's almost like you have two lives to maintain, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. So that's definitely something that I'm, that I, um, that I miss about living in the United States. Yeah. I, so I was living, I was doing a a six month, um, abroad thing in Italy when Black Panther came out and (laughs) I know this is kind of corny, but it was like a cultural moment in, back in the U.S. for Black people to like yeah. dress up and go see Black Panther. And I was so sad. No, I, was I love it. it. <laughs> I love it. Do you, girl? But yeah, anyway. So yeah, that is one thing. Like I think about moving abroad a lot. And um, that's one thing that I feel like I would miss out on is uh, specifically Black American culture. Um, because we do have a culture and it does, it influences, you know, the world. So to to be removed from that, I kind of, it kind of makes me, that's, that's probably the only thing that gives me pause about like moving abroad permanently. Yeah. Um, But I think it all depends because I I definitely will say like United States has a strong black community. Right. mm -hmm. And I feel like here there are black people in France. They are still fighting for their rights. It's just Mm -hmm. different in the sense that like, it's not like there's this one big black community that stands up together. It's more of like everyone fighting for black rights in a sense. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Um, but I will say it's like, I've, I've started to meet a lot, a lot more black French people here. Um, and it's just really interesting to also hear their perspectives on um, just like being black in France, you know? So it's like, I will say that like, there is still a network here. I just think it's different. Mm-hmm. You know, like you, you can't really expect the same black community that's in the United States. It's just a different vibe, but we're still here, girl. Like we're still out here. Like fighting. It's lit. <laughs> yeah, it, it is. It really is. It's just different, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's good to know. Um, yeah. So, okay. I want to, I'm going to ask for some tea on dating. 
um, I so I mentioned I have a, a Parisian friend, and yep. she is her family. She was born and raised in Paris, but her parents and her family are from Guinea. So she still has you know cultural ties in Guinea. Um, and I remember um telling her something about how I felt like like there's kind of this diaspora wars, and sometimes mm. people who have like who still have like cultural ties back to the continent, um, kind of maybe frown upon dating african-american um people and she kind of didn't oh. really give me a yes or no answer she kind of didn't okay. say yes it's frowned upon or no it's not frowned upon so i was wondering if you have ever experienced any like hesitancy from maybe african french people um in terms of dating you since you're african-american because there's i mean i feel like the dias- diaspora wars a lot of it is rooted in th- feeling like African-American people don't have a specific culture since we don't have like the ties mm. back to the continent and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So I was wondering like some of your experiences with like dating um, in, in France and Paris as an African-American specifically woman. Yeah. Um, I mean, to be honest with you, I've never received that here, honestly. Like I've never, I've never received, like it's, it's never felt like someone was hesitant to like date me or go on a date because I'm African-American. I think if anything, I think the French love American culture. They think it's really cool. So I think that if anything, they're excited about it versus being like, oh, she doesn't have roots. Do you know what I mean? I feel like it's more of that. So um, I can definitely say that for sure. And I mean, oh my gosh, I'm trying to like think back to some of my dating stories. I mean, it, it's, it really hasn't been a lot about race. But okay. I also think here people are a lot more open. It's like you mm-hmm. see a lot more mixed couples here. I mean, way more than I've ever seen in the United States, mm-hmm. you know, way, way more. Um, I think that they're just more comfortable. And I was asking my black French guy friend about this um, recently, just it's interesting to see so many more mixed couples here. And he was saying, well, tip, because here in France, we all grow up together. Like you don't really have just your black community and just your Italian community and just this. It's like everyone is growing up together. So naturally it's like you hook up with people who you grew up with and it's normal for them you know so I personally I haven't really seen race as being a big or the fact that I'm African-American and not like African French or Caribbean French or however you want to call it I've never really had that be an issue for me but that's really interesting to hear from your friend yeah so and I guess the reverse of that, have you ever felt like, I don't know if fetishized is the right word, but we'll go with that. Have you ever felt like fetishized for being an African-American woman? Because for some people, being from America is like idealized or whatever. Think of right, America as right. a great country. So have you ever experienced that? Um, not really in dating, but it's like, it's so funny. I remember like when I was working in corporate, I would go to the canteen, like the cafeteria to get my food. And one of the chefs would always be like, oh, the American is here. Like, and they were always like so excited. And I, I just always thought it was the funniest thing. So like things like that would happen for sure. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I don't think I've ever gotten like, well, I will have to say like, I do have some friends that are like, yeah, my cool American friend or whatever. Right. Which is funny because like, I feel like the opposite. Like if I were in the United States, I'd be like, yeah, my French friend, you know what I mean? So I think it's just kind of like when you're around someone who is different from what you are and, you know, different culture and different experiences, I think it's kind of cool. Um, So that's personally how I've kind of been received um, since being here. Okay. Okay. I hope that answers that question. Yeah, yeah, it does. It does. Um, Do you ever 
experience people who have negative um negative perceptions of americans because i know some in some places they think americans are loud and right (laughs) so what about that yeah i mean definitely the loud thing which is really funny because i'm probably the loudest of them all i could do not like i remember i was like for some reason my wi-fi wasn't connecting and i had to send a message or something. So I just popped into like a McDonald's just to hop on the Wi-Fi. And I was on the phone with my friend, like, hey girl, like I'll be there in 10 minutes. Like, don't worry, I'll be there soon. Da, 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 da. I get off the phone. Everyone in McDonald's is staring at me like, like this, like, like, okay, we know she's American and she's loud AF. Like literally. And I was like, oh my God, this is so embarrassing. And I just like ran out. So it's like things like that have happened to me for sure, where you can kind of feel like they're like rolling their eyes, like, okay, like this loud ass like American girl. But um I, I haven't really gotten like like bad treatment, I guess, but also I think it also comes with, you know, trying to speak some of the language, because I feel like there are Americans who get backlash because they just try and approach people in English when it's like we are in France so you should be speaking a bit of French and I'm not saying you have to become fluent because I'm still struggling like I know the struggle is is real when it comes to this language but if you at least approach someone bonjour like ça va like just trying to speak the language and usually if they see you struggling a bit they'll switch but I think if you just come up to them just speaking in English then they're kind of be like okay like this American, like, what are you doing? You know what I mean? Right. So I think it all depends on your approach to the culture, to the people, and to the language. Perfect. Okay, so you said you've been living at three and a half years now? Yeah, it'll be four years in August, which is insane. Yes. I know. I'm like freaking <laughs> out. So obviously you've been there um, throughout the pandemic. I wanted to talk a little bit about that. And, you know, I can vouch for how poorly the U.S. has handled the pandemic. And I was wondering if you could tell us a a little bit about how you've seen things handled in France. So what kind of measures have been put in place or provisions or whatever for, you know, people in France? Sure. Um, So where should I start? So when when the pandemic first hit, I remember it just being a shock, like being here, like, you know, no close family here. Like, I was like, oh my God, am I really going to go into this like without my family? Um, And everything in Paris happened so fast. So it was literally like one day me and my friends were making plans to go grab coffee. And then the next day we're seeing, um, we're seeing a post that like all the restaurants and everything were going to be closed. So it happened very fast, which I think was also very scary for a lot of us just being expats out here. But I will say that, you know, especially in the beginning, I feel like they were doing all of the right things. I mean, we were on lockdown for three months. Um, yeah, about a year ago, because we went into lockdown March 13th. We were in lockdown for three months. Um, when things opened back up, things were really good. Um, but then in August, um, everyone goes on holiday. So people were moving around. And then we have the rule where we have to wear masks everywhere. But I will say that they've been doing a good job about, you know, making sure hand sanitizer is everywhere. Like there is not one place in Paris that I walk into where there isn't like a tub of hand sanitizer and like a guy checking to make sure that you are sanitizing your hands. Mm -hmm. Um, Masks have to be worn everywhere. And it's like, even Mm -hmm. now I'm working out of a co-working space and like everyone wears their masks. Like if you're in a booth, so I'm kind of in a secluded booth right now, it's okay to take off your mask, but masks have to be worn everywhere. Um, and then we went to another lockdown in October to December 15th. And now we're kind of in this partial lockdown, which I'm not sure if I fully understand it, but basically we're on, we're on a curfew. So we have to be 
inside um, by 7 p.m. Um, we also can't go past 10 kilometers from our home, which is about six miles, which is technically all of Paris. So what I'm understanding is we just can't really leave Paris right now. Um, but then there's also this rule, which, oh my gosh, I'm kind of frustrated about where if you're a citizen of another country, you can leave to go back to that country, but they might not let you back into France because the borders are completely closed right now. And right. there's no word of when the borders will, will reopen. So me and my expat friends are just kind of patiently waiting to know like when we'll be able to go home to see friends and family without worrying about being stuck. You know, I haven't seen my, my family in the States in over a year. So, so far that's kind of how France has been handling it. The vaccine is here now and guys, I'm not a news outlet. So definitely do your research. Um, I'm just, you know, sharing what I know that's going on, but the vaccine is here. And from what I know so far, I think they're on tier one. So kind of the high risk people. Um, and I think uh, the States is a lot more, is, is way ahead of the game when it comes to um, giving the vaccine out. Like I know a lot of friends in the United States who, who have taken the vaccine. Um, but yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of more or less the situation with the pandemic in Paris. Mm-hmm. So you you explain what the partial lockdown is. What was the the real lockdown or the full lockdown? Oof. What were the conditions of that? <laughs> sure. So the full lockdown. So um, we basically had to stay inside um, unless we were going grocery shopping, um, exercise. And I think there were two other things on the list. Because basically what it was is if ever we were to leave our apartment, we had to carry around a document that was signed by us. And that literally stated the reason why we were outside of our apartment. Like it was legit. Like you could not leave your house without, they called it, they called it an attestation, which was basically a document that said, you know, where you live, why you left your house, where you're going, what time you left your house. Um, Cause there was even like a time limit for how long you could be out. Like it was, it was really, really strict. And I damn near had a breakdown when we first went into it, just because I was like, oh my gosh, this is, crazy like these regulations are so strict I mean I understood why it was happening and I'm glad that for that period of time they were able to contain um or stop the virus from spreading but it was very very strict it was very very strict um all non-essential businesses were closed so basically if you weren't a grocery store and you weren't a pharmacy you were closed Mm -hmm. um so basically everything was shut down indefinitely basically so those were more or less the lockdown measures of um the actual lockdown that we went into last year Mm-hmm. So did you see, did you all have any like anti-maskers or anything? Because that's a thing here. People who are mad yeah. that they have to wear masks and stuff. Was there any of that? Or did you see any of that? Not, definitely not as bad as it was in the United States. Honestly, I, I feel like for the most part, even when I was out, people were pretty much obeying the rules, I guess mm-hmm. you could say. I mean, you know, you would, I, I mean, you more, more, more often than not, if, if, an establishment said mask obligatoire, which means like mandatory mask, people were wearing their masks. Like I didn't really see a lot of people trying to break the rules or anything like that, but um, you definitely did still have, I know they were saying like the younger generation would still have parties and stuff like that. Um, Because I mean, France is a very social country. You know, people are used to being outside with friends and meeting with people. So I feel like stuff like that was happening. But I think for the most part, like on the streets, you really don't see people without a mask on. Okay. Okay. And and would you say you feel better about the way France has handled the pandemic than what you've seen of the U.S.? (laughs) Oh gosh, I don't want to get in trouble. (laughs) 
I mean, it's, it's, it's a hard call because I feel like they're very different countries. You yeah. know what I mean? I feel yeah. like they're very different countries. I feel like the population is very different. Whereas in France, again, people love to socialize. People love to go outside. And I almost think the government's thinking was, okay, we know how these people are. We definitely need to do something. You know, because yeah. people are always out and about here. Like, even in the wintertime, I remember, like, my first winter in France, I was like, why are people still sitting outside? Like, like, because, you know, I'm like, it's cold outside, but that, that's just to tell you, like, how social the right, population yeah. is, you know? So, I mean, I, I, I do think that the countries handled it very differently. And I remember people even being like, even my parents, when I told them that we were going into our first lockdown, they were like, oh, my God, because the United States was just not there yet. No, I feel like we've never really, I feel like we've never really locked down. We've been locked down. So yeah, so it's like, I can't really say who's handled it better because I mean, even right now, our cases are rising right now, which is why we're on a partial lockdown. I I almost think that both countries are just trying, I think that all countries across the globe were just trying to handle it in the best way. I feel like there's really no rule book to handle a global pandemic. Um, But I could definitely see a difference in the way that um, it was handled here versus the United States. Okay, okay. I'll take that. I don't want to get you in trouble for <laughs> playing favorites or anything. Um, so if you had to, like, if anybody, for anybody who's maybe listening to this and like wanting to move abroad or, or start a life abroad or something, do you have any like first steps, tips or something like that? Yeah. Um, well, first you can grab my course, uh, the Get Over Your Ish and Plan Your Move Abroad mini course. And I actually um, designed it for just this. It's literally a course to help you um, organize your move abroad and just get in that mindset of making it a reality. Because I think that sometimes people think that it's the super complicated thing, which like, yes, it can be to move abroad. But like, once you kind of have your timeline in place, your budget, your route that you want to take to move abroad, I feel like it just makes the process so much easier. And these are the things that I kind of help walk people through um, in the course. So you can grab that course um, if it's something that you're interested in. But I think when it comes to moving abroad, and this is something that I say to everyone who I know that wants to move, is you need to trust the process, one. You need to do it in a way that's unique to you and the life that you're working towards. Because I feel like people see people moving abroad and just want to do it the way that they did, but then feel, but then find it's not really working out for them. It's like, do it in a way that works for you. And that fits what you want to do. You know what I mean? Like I personally was looking for a career transition. I I was looking for higher education. So moving abroad to get my MBA was the perfect thing for me. You know, maybe, maybe that's not for you. And maybe there's another organization that would um, work better for you. But I, I always say, you know, make sure you're doing it for you and not just because, you saw someone living a fabulous life abroad. Right, right, right. So do you feel like uh, Paris will be your home for the foreseeable future or or what? I think so. Like, I, I really love it here. I mean, I always say, you know, I wonder, like, once I really, really settle down and have kids and a family, you know, I'll probably want to be in the States just because my sister is there, my family is mm-hmm. there. And it's hard to imagine myself raising a family without my family close by. Um, but for right now, yes, I really do love it. And I plan on staying for years to come. Oh, <laughs> okay. So last question I like to ask guests is, um, what is a book or resource that has been formative for you? Oh, formative, formative. Mm-hmm. Um, oh my gosh. I read so many books. Um, I'll give you this one, The Slight Edge. 
I don't know if you guys have read that book. I, off the top of my head, I can't remember the author. I'm sorry, but it's more of like personal development slash, um, like get over your ish and get things done type of book. And I feel like for me, it's changed the game in terms of how I set up my day, how I work towards my goals. Um, and if moving abroad is a goal for you, like that could be something that this book helps you with. But it basically talks about how there's a slight edge between someone becoming a millionaire and someone becoming um, a beach bum, you know? And it's in there, these simple tasks that you can do every day that will make the slight edge work in your favor. But when you don't do these things, the slight edge is working against you. So you're kind of going down that path of becoming a beach bum. Um, but yeah, it's, it's such a good book. I won't give it all away, but it's a really good book. And I feel like it has, changed my life in a sense, you know, like just with me planning things and doing things and sticking, sticking, um, not sticking, but um, stick, sticking to my goals, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Well, tell people where they can find you on the internet. Sure. So I'm on YouTube. So it's just Tiffany Davis on YouTube. And then on Instagram, it's at it's Tiffany Davis. Um, so those are the two places where you can find me. Perfect. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to Not The Wifey Type, the podcast. If you love the show, make sure to subscribe so you'll know when new episodes drop and rate and review so others will know how much you love the show too. If you want to keep up with me personally, you can follow me on Instagram at Not The Wifey Type. Until next time, I'm reminding you to belong to yourself. <laughs>